welcome to my circle. Well, thank you for having me. I'm grateful I'm to be here. I'm so, 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 so happy to have you. Um, for those of you tuning in that may not be fully aware of this amazing man, Vito Glazers, he's the CEO of One World Publishing, um, an internet entrepreneur, investor, producer, author, TV personality, and actor. Ooh. Uh, mostly working as a public relations expert specializing in influencer and celebrity marketing and reputation management. I might need your help from time to time. Sounds thorough, yes. It is Newport. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You've been described as a pioneer in performance marketing and one of the top digital entrepreneurs by Forbes magazine. Uh, Named one of the top 40 millennial influencers by New Theory magazine. My gosh, man, you have been a busy boy. I mean, I have always heard that millennials are lazy. I think you're proving otherwise. Where, where do you, how do you, where do you get this drive? Where do I get the drive? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your beautiful show. It's such an honor to be here with you. Uh, I get the drive. I just, you know, when you enjoy what you do, it's, it's never work, right? So I just really have, um, I feel really grateful that I've been blessed with a lot of talents and I've had a lot of opportunities and I really love helping people. And my drive is really just to help other people. And by helping other people, it seems to help me. So it's that whole give to receive theory, you know? I love that. And you know, a lot of people say that, but you're really one of those people that I know walks the walk. So I got to say that. I always like to tell the story of how how we know each other because this is my circle, okay? (laughs) Um, And I met you probably a couple years ago. I'd say maybe two years ago, maybe. Yeah, at least. Um, You're a friend of my son, Julian, and a client. And I know you guys have worked together. Um, and we got to do some fun partying in the in the old days at Red O's. Sure so, uh, and I remember Julian always told me, he's like, Mom, you gotta, you, you, no, you seriously gotta spend time with Vito. This guy blows my mind every time we have a conversation. <laughs> I mean, he he's such a fan. And the more we've gotten to spend time in, yeah. and you've been to holidays and yes, really gotten you. to know each other. So, um, so having you on the show is just such a plus, plus, plus. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about your upbringing because you do have a very great story to tell about your being born in Chicago to immigrant parents. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that experience. So being from Chicago, first of all, I have to congratulate one of my favorite people from Chicago, Kanye West. Yeah. He's officially the richest black man in America today. Wow. Uh, I had to tweet him. Is that him before or after the divorce? <laughs> that it, it's coming out because of the, of the divorce. Oh, okay. But I tweeted him today. I said, uh, congratulations on being the richest black man, but you still have some catching up to do because Elon Musk is technically the richest African-American. So, oh, we'll, uh, <laughs> nice little spin there. Very yes, intelligent. Yes. Don't, don't boo me. I'm right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I love being from Chicago. Uh, it's a, uh, being a first generation American, growing up in a, a uh, very immigrant rich city like Chicago, very diverse place, gives you a lot of different outlooks because growing up in Chicago is interesting because you have extreme wealth and extreme poverty side by side, every other block, yeah. from block to block. So it was a very interesting opportunity. You know, my my mother's from Guatemala. So I spent a lot of time in Central America growing up. I learned to speak Spanish fluently. I've been involved in the Latin community. In fact, a lot of the, uh, my first appearance on television was actually on Telemundo. I was working with Telemundo doing uh, journalism in Los Angeles. Um, and even the most recent movie that I'm, that I'm uh, a part of right now is called Concrete Rose, all Latin cast. So 100% of the cast is, is from Latin America. 
Uh, it's an amazing movie. Uh, John John Villanueva is a great uh, director. We've got a lot of great actors in that movie too. And it's really cool because that's the first movie I'm in where 100% of my lines are in Spanish. Wow. So it was, it was a really big accomplishment um, for now, Did your mom actually teach you at home or was it, because I know you traveled to Latin America as a child. I mean, did, did she think to teach you or did you learn that through your travels? So I actually learned to speak Spanish fluently from my grandmother, my mom's oh, mom, okay. who refused to learn English. Okay. So at the time, it was very frustrating. I actually, one of like the few memories I have as a child is remembering being frustrated with my grandmother that yeah. she wouldn't listen, that she wouldn't give me things in, if I asked in English. But now I'm very grateful for that. Absolutely. You know? And that's kind of, it's almost the foundation for the story of my whole life. Every time there's a challenge, it leads to some benefit. And now I become grateful for the challenges because those are the opportunities to grow. Absolutely. And so starting well, you know, that at That mindset old, alone, yeah. I think, is the mindset of success, right? It is a difficult mindset to attain, but I challenge myself now to find the good in every single situation. People are like, how do you find the good in being stuck in traffic in the yeah. 405? And I say, well, it's my, I have an hour to make my phone calls. And I, yeah. I love having that hour to make my calls. Now that I go into it being like, oh, great. It's an hour of traffic. I have four calls to make. Now I'm like, oh, uh, the, it went by so quick. I, I didn't even have time to do all my calls. So yeah. the traffic goes from being a negative to a positive. I try to reframe every one of those situations in my life. Um, and it's difficult to do. And I think that I'm very close to mastering it because even like negative relationships that I've had with people who've done wrong to me and stuff, I am at the point where I can fully thank them for something, yeah. you know? So it, it is a mindset and it's a journey to get to that point. It's always easier to, you know, negative news spreads a lot easier than, than good news. You would know. Uh, yes. So I, I, being in the news business, I've really learned that um, people love to spread negativity, um, but positivity will always outshine it. So there's um, something to be said for emphasizing that positive mindset. Um, you know, we were talking about health, the body. Uh, to me, the journey of health starts in the mind. And being grateful for the health that you have already is the first step to making sure that you have continual health. Uh, people that, that focus only on what's wrong with their bodies tend to exacerbate those problems. So um, people like myself who uh, see life as a miracle and appreciate it for the miracle it is. I, I literally never get sick. I, I just, I don't feel that I'm on a vibrational frequency that can attract sickness. I love it. Because I'm just so grateful for the health I have that it's just perpetuating itself from within. Now, do people call you an old soul? People call me all kinds of things. If I worried about what people call me, I would probably go crazy. Well, I really, no, that's, yeah. a, that's a compliment, yeah. I think. And, and, and yeah. it's because you have, you have a lot of wisdom. You carry a lot of wisdom in a very young body. So it's, it's definitely a compliment. How, where, do you, where did that come from? How, how did you get your thinking about that? That's a really good question. I, I really don't know. I've just, I've, you know, I think it's because I'm an only child. Uh, my parents, God bless them, are just kind of in their own worlds. Yeah. So I really... Uh, for a long time, I struggled feeling that I was like completely alone in the world. Yeah. And, but it's in that solitude that you can really find yourself. And a man who can like master his time alone with himself is somebody who can really like take on the world. Because I really need like very few external stimulants to be satisfied with myself. There's a lot of people that can't be alone. Right. They like go crazy yep. uh, if they don't have, you know, companionship constantly. Have you always been that way? 
I don't want to say I've always been that way, but I've almost like growing up, I almost had to be that way. You know, I was kind of like an outcast and I was like, uh, I grew up in this like kind of middle class area, but uh, I was like the lowest income person in that area. And then I was alone. I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, I was kind of always just jaded and resentful that uh, my parents couldn't give me like some of the opportunities it seemed like the other kids were having. In retrospect, you kind of realize that uh, nobody really had it great. You know, yeah. it was all kind of, uh, everybody was in their own struggles. But uh, I think that just spending a lot of time alone gave me the ability to kind of like let myself develop. And that's actually something I even bring now that I'm like more in the creator world where mm-hmm. I've been like producing films and helping people like bring their stories to life. Uh, I, I consume very little media um, because I find that the more media I consume, the more it affects my work. And it's almost like I'd rather be making TV than watching TV, right? right? And then if I start watching too much TV, then I want to start copying them or then their their work starts influencing mine. So there is something to be said about development in a void. So I kind of like, growing up, I didn't have a telephone. I didn't have a TV. Um, I lived with my dad. We were like very poor. And um, I remember having to like walk to the payphone to like call my friends and be like, hey, meet me at this movie theater, you know, in three hours, take like two buses to get there, you know? And um, those were the, those were the catalysts that develop you into somebody who um, can appreciate everything, right? When you have nothing and then you get something, it means a lot more than if you have everything and you're just being I actually think that one of the worst things that can happen to a person is to be born into wealth. I think so too. And I find that the there's so much development and struggle and that that is really, I guess, what I would, um, again, growing up, very resentful, very angry at the world for uh, making what I felt I had to work harder to get the same things other people were handed. Um, but in retrospect, the negative of that was actually something to be grateful for because it gave me the independence to operate at a high level independently. It's just so funny. I I was literally just having this conversation with somebody, um, and it was somebody who was judging people who were born into wealth, you know? And I said, actually, if you think about it, you should feel sorry for those people because they're going to have, they say the abrasion polishes the the diamond, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to have to find their abrasion later in life. Right. If if you're lucky enough, and we're going to use that word lucky sure. with parentheses, if you're lucky enough to have your abrasion as a child, by the time you get reach adulthood, you, you've learned so many lessons that are then going to carry you forward. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have those opportunities as a child, you've then therefore got to learn those opportunities later in life. And that's a lot of times when people are doing drugs or, you know, drinking and driving and all all the other things that, you know, lessons that you have to learn earlier if you didn't learn them as a child. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of the mindset is, is helping to teach our children that because even through this past year when kids were really not being able to socialize and that type of thing, I think if the focus was more on, okay, well, let's talk about you know, let's talk about that and, and what we can do is, you know, with our children at home and how they can be more self-focused and that type of thing, I think is really the message. So I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something that I, I kind of am on a soapbox about. Um, but it's it means a lot to me. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more because I don't think we've talked enough about you. How about me? Uh, not enough, not enough about you. Um, in 2009, you were a Telemundo correspondent. Yes, I did some Telemundoing. 
Al Rojo Vito. El Rojo Vivo. Vivo. Yes, I wish oh. the show was named after me, but no, it's... Uh, <laughs> I was just going to no. make it after you, yes. you know? Yeah. Uh, in 2009, you moved to L.A. to work as a consultant to large brands and celebrities mm. on new media, social media, podcast, um, video on demand. Um, in 2010, you were a contributing author to the Huffington Post. Yes. Or were you like 25 at, at that age, at uh, that stage? Probably, yeah. That's that's funny. Very impressive. Very impressive. It was, it, that was such a funny story. I actually, I got canceled from the Huffington Post. I've been getting canceled. I was, I think I'm like the first person ever to really experience like constant cancel culture. <laughs> <laughs> I have been I getting canceled. I know you canceled. think you are, but you probably aren't really. I have been getting canceled since like, I don't know, since I was like a teenager. I feel like everything I've been doing, people are always trying to cancel me. But again, lays the platform for gratitude. You right. think these are negative things. Now I'm cancel proof. Yeah. Because I'm completely independent. I rely on zero sponsors, yeah. zero production companies, um, which is cool because it gives me the power to actually emphasize free speech and to actually share my message fearlessly. Well, and it helps you be a better consultant to people who may be going through some of those yeah. experiences oh, yeah. in like, their life. All my clients are getting canceled now. Yeah. It's, it's a time of cancellation. It's a time of canceling. Um, you know, I've we talk about being offended a lot. You know, good morning, America. What are we offended by today? You know, and um, to me, being offended is like the biggest sign of weakness, right? If you are easily offended, you're easily manipulated. Mm. So the more offended you are, the easier I can control your mind because I can say, I know that I can push buttons that yeah. will cause a reaction in you that will then allow me to control you. So I can't be offended. I'm like unoffendable. I, I take, I'm trying not to be a proud person, but I, for lack of a better term, take pride in the fact that I cannot be offended. There's literally nothing you can't say to me <laughs> that, that would offend me, you know? Um, but being, yeah, we're Is in this Is that because culture. you're so confident in who you are? Or where does that come from? Yes, it, be, it comes from a foundation in the truth. Okay. And I am on a constant mission to seek the truth, see the truth. Um, I've worked in the news business for a long time. I've worked in Hollywood for a long time. Hollywood's all smoke and mirrors. News is just an extension of Hollywood. Right. So I always follow the money. So I say, who is benefiting from this financially? Why is this news being produced this way? Why is uh, this message being produced? Who is benefiting from it? I can break down basically any news story, any headline, and connect it to the sponsor. And a lot of times, now lately, we're getting a lot of news stories uh, sponsored by foreign governments. That's, that's um, there's a big thing right now, you know, uh, we've all heard the term toxic masculinity right? Toxic masculinity is a concept 100% financed by the Chinese government. They own U.S. media. They invest in U.S. media. They invest in Hollywood. They invest in our sports. They project the idea that masculinity is toxic on the entire nation. Uh, they infiltrate... But what does that mean? Because I, I haven't heard that term before. Toxic masculinity? Yeah. Just that basically that like manliness is negative. Uh, that it's like um, uh, that men are oppressors, that patriarch, the patriarchal society that we live in uh, somehow uh, it gives men advantages um, legislatively to put women down and all this stuff. It's completely fabricated by foreign governments. Now, China, now that toxic masculinity and masculinity and transgenderism and all these things have just been promoted so heavily to the point where we um, are buying uh, flight suits for pregnant women to fight in Americans. America's army, okay? Pregnant women are going to fight our wars for us because that's, you know, because masculinity is toxic, right? Mm. And I don't want to make this into a political thing. This is just one example um, that is 
completely factually based. The They've basically convinced our entire legislative policy through media that um, women need to do the same jobs as men and that men are toxic and that men are not necessary in, to, in the society. And now through media, America... Ha, uh, portion of America has accepted this and perpetuates this. And now that that message has been engulfed into our culture, China is now investing in masculinity training for their country. And all their schools are promoting pro-male, pro-masculinity. So they're weakening America through our media. And then they're strengthening their country. And they, you know, they play these generational wars are not fought uh, with tanks and, and armies anymore. Um, wars are economical. Uh, um, they're fought through economics. They're fought through the media and through thought culture. It's a war for your mind. So uh, my journey is a journey for the truth. And if you're confident in the truth, then you cannot be offended because you can tell me anything about myself. And I'm aware of that. You could say, um, Vito, you're hair, you have a receding hairline, or you could say um, your shoes are something or your shirt doesn't fit right, whatever it is, I'm probably already aware of that. But I'm not hiding it. And I understand that like as a human being, as a man, a woman, we all have different qualities, we all have different uh, strengths and weaknesses. And that's what makes us need each other. That's the beauty of humanity, is that not every one of us can have everything perfect. Uh, if any one of us were too perfect, then we would be like our creator, who I personally believe we have a creator that we're created from. And uh, I think that that is the only the creator is perfect. And we're all made differently. So we can all interact together and have a purpose to, to work together and to support each other and to experience life through each other. Um, and yet you live, you work in an industry yeah. that's very image driven. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, we all know that Hollywood and, yeah. and uh, you work with celebrities, you work with influencers, you work, work with brands that are creating yeah. an image. So is that in conflict with what you do for your clients? It's, in, it's, it's the opposite of conflict. It's the only way to survive. It's the only way to survive 15 years in Hollywood is by being so completely secure and real with who you are. Because otherwise, yeah, you'll, you'll kill yourself. You know, you'll go crazy. These girls, they like, they have these image goals that are so unrealistic, but I also have been behind the scenes for so long that I just know that it's all fabricated, right? Yeah. Like the image of perfection is, it's art. It's, it's, it's an art form, but I am not going to live my real life in a way that is pursuing a fantasy, right? Hollywood is a fantasy. Real life is real life. So there are two different things and I'm able to com- compartmentalize those things. But I, th- I feel that the people who really make it big, and first of all, I have this conversation with my dad all the time because I've been doing like uh, television acting stuff um, for, I don't know, you know, I try to get in like two, three TV shows a year if I can get on uh, different little acting jobs, whatever, just because I genuinely enjoy it. It's fun. It's just a fun way. It's just another way of telling stories, right? Another way of passing on information. And so like take on these characters. And uh, my dad used to tell me, he was like, this is like the background that I come from. You're not good looking enough to be an actor. You know, you, you're never going to be an actor, go work at like a grocery store or get like a, my dad was a garbage truck driver and a cab driver and just like a blue collar union American worker, you know? And I actually had to explain to my dad at like 20 years old, I said, dad, 
no actors are good looking. <laughs> it's not, I'm not trying to be like a supermodel. You know right, what I mean? Right. Uh, models are, you have to be good looking right. to be a model. But think of who are like the biggest actors and politicians are. None of them are good looking. Yeah. They all have a unique look. They have a look about them. But no presidents are like great looking. Uh, no, most actors, unless you go like the Johnny Depp or like, but then they're kind of just like, more like model actors, but right. I would say a very small percentage of people's favorite actors are attractive. Right. So if you think about like... So it's always the same five guys that are on people's most uh, yeah, sexiest man alive. Sure, it's, it's the like same they 10 keep, actors. They, yeah. they're, they're a handful of people and all of them have imperfections. Yeah. They are just the best looking on camera. Right. You know what I mean? But if you meet a lot of these, never meet your heroes. I, right. I'll tell you this hilarious story, actually. I met um, El Pacino at the Soho House in West Hollywood. And we almost got in like a boxing match over a crumpet or like some little cookie. Because <laughs> uh, I, I didn't recognize who he was. Yeah. And I am the biggest Pacino fan. I love all the mob movies. Yeah. I love Scarface. I love like um, Any Given Sunday. I mean, yeah. all his roles are so great. And so we're at the Soho House. I used to work there on Monday afternoons. And I have all my meetings there. And they would put out this tray because it's like a British club. Yeah. So they would have like an afternoon tea time. Tea, yeah. And they put all these like cookies and teas and stuff out. So they were doing a screening of The Irishman. Uh, it was like a movie uh, that was pretty popular a yeah. couple of years ago. Pacino was in it. They've got like all the old mob guys in The, in, in the Irishman. And they had done a screening there and the screening was ending and the cookie trays were kind of wrapping up. Mm-hmm. And he kind of like nudged me out of the way in line to grab like the last cookie. And I was yeah. like, hey, you know, like yeah. I kind of want that, yeah. you know. And then the waiter comes over to me. He's like, He's like, I think, uh, he's like, just let Pacino have the, the cookie. I'll get you another one. And I was like, that's Al Pacino? Like, he literally looked like a hundred-year-old man who, wow. like, crawled out of the alley. And I was like... Did he so, say anything to you? Was he like, Yeah, no, on. yeah, yeah, we got physical. It, it got a little physical, mildly physical, yeah. um, diplomatically physical, yeah. but... Um, Body language was intense yeah. and he um, that cookie. <laughs> he just expected, you know, yeah. to be recognized perhaps. Yeah. And uh, I definitely didn't recognize him. I was like, this guy's four feet tall and, yeah. uh, you know, wearing has a wig that's fallen off. So oh, nothing yeah. against Pacino. But I'm saying if you were to see yeah. him in a magazine and then see him reaching for a cookie yeah. at 3 p.m. on a Monday, uh, they're two totally different visions. Yeah. So I don't al- allow somebody's Im- image in a magazine to affect my personal confidence, right? right so right. Uh, I know that I have a lot of strengths mm-hmm. that I've worked on developing. I also know that I have a lot of weaknesses that um, the development of those is not that important to me. Like yeah. having abs is not in like my top 500 goals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Um, to some people they are, but I don't personally think that it's going, like to me, the, I'm, I'm a spiritual being mm-hmm. having a human experience. So to me, the human body is a vessel, right? And it's important to protect your vessel, but you don't want to get so obsessed with a finite object. Like to me, a body is like an object, right? Like right. being obsessed with a car, you just go crazy. You never get to enjoy the car because, yeah. um, you know, my dad used to be into like classic cars. He's got this like, um, he recently got, uh, it's like, well, recently, 20 years ago, got this car and he's obsessed with it, you know, and he like saved up and spent all his money on this car and he doesn't enjoy it because he's so obsessed with the car. Me, yeah. I literally, I go get a Maserati. I put 5,000 miles on it yeah. right away. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm like driving it everywhere, you know, yeah. so. You want everybody um, to see it. <laughs> um, I just want, I'm like, this thing was made to be driven. Like, let's drive it, you yeah. know? So I feel the same way kind of about my human body. Uh, I want it to function and I want it to be 
um, good, but I don't want to get so obsessed with it that it's holding me back because, you know, time is the most valuable asset. So we have to be very intelligent with the way that we manage and use our time and invest our time. And balance is really important. But to me, my goal, my goals are like empire related, right? Like kingdom building. Um, I really want to bring people to like, to a, a place of light. I want to help people share their stories. Um, everybody okay, so has let's a story. Talk about that. Talk, yeah, talk, talk to us to. a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on, some of the clients you've worked on. I mean, I was working with you, Vito. What, what, what was that look like? So the first thing that I've learned to develop that most people in media overlook, they give the client too much power. The, the foundation of anything in media and any storytelling it's what I call developing the claim to fame. And it doesn't actually have to... Now, the media can make your claim to fame. Usually, that's going to be negative. Maybe you're a murderer, then you're famous for that. That's your claim to fame. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're a... Um, the, the typical outlet, like the, up to this point, the typical claims to fame have been like uh, being a superior athlete, being an award winner, a professional athlete. That's a claim to fame. Being like a professional politician on a party ticket. That will give you a claim to fame. Everybody knows you from the media. Mm-hmm. Um, making some accomplishment in art or business. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, you're like a signed rec- uh, musician to a record company. You have a hit record. Maybe you're an actor, a producer, director, somewhere in that world. That's your claim to fame. You produce something. But now we're in a new world. It's a new media world where uh, anybody can produce anything, right? So, I mean... Shoot, everybody's doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, everybody and their mom is doing a podcast, yeah. right? Even my uh, even my friend's my mom. mom. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> even even your son probably is going to have a podcast. And so, but so, what differentiates those, right? So we that's great though to me is that we've leveled the playing field because before a small group of people control the message. When you have three broadcast media channels controlling all the messaging, you have three newspapers that are controlling all the messaging. Uh, that is not good for society and for growth because there's always going to be financial incentive to control the narrative of whatever everybody is, is mes- the message that people are, are hearing. So I think it's great that we have this new like third-party media world where uh, I call it third-party media. This would be third-party media, right? right? So it's like we're independent, right? Um, still reliant on their platforms, uh, which is dangerous. And I think there's a huge opportunity. The next like multi-billion dollar opportunity will be in creating uh, all the social platforms and video platforms um, that already exist, but creating like a competitor to them. There's like a full monopoly on media right now. And um, we can see that's why all these people are getting deplatformed because anybody who is not down with the regime is cut, you know? So that's, that's but dangerous. But start up and then they just get bought, right? So... Well, that's the thing you have to like, you have to really, and you have to build it all the way up to the server level. So like, um, it's, it's too big big to discuss on this. I mean, I've thought about, I've, I've actually been brought into meetings on it where people want to, um, launch these new video platforms. They want to, um, but we have to like, you'd have to build your own Amazon, you know, like we have to go all the way and it can be done and it will be done. Uh, but it takes time and it takes energy. It takes incentive. It takes, um, money. We're going to have, it takes money, money, time. Uh, anything can be done with money and time. Right. So, um, but back to helping people tell their stories, uh, establishing the claim to fame is is the first and most overlooked part of why um, pe- some people are successful in media and others aren't. So the establishing of the claim to fame is what what do you want to be known for? What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want your like highest self to be 
And then how can we write and produce that in a way that the media will be receptive to that? So that... uh, You've got a secret sauce for that. I just said that. So that's like my particular... I would call it like the talent. That's Mm -hmm. like the art form for me is helping people really um, go on that mental journey because it's like a mindset journey too. Uh, the biggest rebuttal that I I had starting the PR company is most of the clients were like, my story's not that interesting. You know, like nobody's going to care. I don't really have anything to talk about. I'm not interesting. I don't want people, nobody's going to write about me. So a lot of it is like selling people on the fact that uh, everybody has that story to tell mm-hmm. and everybody has an audience that needs to hear it. And a, a great example, I, I met this kid in, uh, I was doing an event in Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, there was a kid there from Hong Kong. 25 years old, making about a million dollars a year. Um, he's very successful. And I said, and he's, he came to me, he said, I'm very interested in, in doing, you know, the program. He's like, I want to learn about my claim to fame. I want to be in the press. Um, but he's like, I just am not interesting. And he's like, so I said, okay, well, let, let's get a camera out. Let's start interviewing you and let's, I'll pull, I'll, I'll pull some things out and I'll, you know, we'll go on a journey together, you know? Yeah. And through the interview, he said, he said, Vito, I'm really just um, telling, uh, I'm just really pulling a lot of stuff that I heard from Tony Robbins. And I said, well, here is why that's not bad. I said, first of all, Tony Robbins is pulling that stuff because he learned it from somewhere <laughs> else too, right? Well, he's the first person to teach mirroring. So yeah. this client, I told him, I said, listen, y- you got this information from Tony Robbins, but not everybody wants to get their information about this because it's important stuff. Tony yeah. Robbins teaches great stuff. Great stuff. And I said, there's uh, a group of people that Tony Robbins at six foot five, you know, 250 pounds of muscle, very alpha male. There's a big audience that, res- that, that resonates with. Mm-hmm. But there's another audience that needs to hear that same message and that it'll resonate better from a five foot five, 25 year old Asian yeah. kid. I said, even if you're regurgitating the same information in your own way with your own truths attached to that, I said, there's going to be an audience that just needs to hear it from you. No less valid. And it's no less valid coming from you. And he uh, went on to actually tell a story. I'm very grateful. And now he's a big speaker in in Asia and he's like doing his thing out there. And we got got him featured in Forbes and Entrepreneur and all these great publications. And uh, now he has, now that he's got the confidence, he's been able to... um, uh, basically build these audiences and he's kind of found his niche in helping people uh, to get into uh, advertising on the internet and stuff like that. And he helps train people and make, you know, he's found his purpose and his passion through telling his story. So it's it. it. one great example of how somebody could think that their story is not important, but then realize that, wow, like there's this whole continent of Asia that needs to hear it from me in right. my language, in my look, I look like them. I'm approachable. Yeah. I'm different. So never discard what you have as not being enough for somebody. It might not be enough for the Tony Robbins audience, but that doesn't yeah. mean that there's not billions of other people that would that want to hear that. And there are billions so, of people, right? Yes. All right. So you know what we do on this show. I ask top questions all right. um, of all my guests. And this is to help uncover kind of the uh, what makes people tick. Okay. Um, do you have any consistent daily routines? Consistent daily routines. Yes. The most consistent daily routine that I've developed in the past year is these mantras I have. Mm. All right. So this is the the mindset mantras. First one is I'm grateful for everything. I used to write down a list of like 10 things I was grateful for. 
But then that meant that I was like more grateful for certain things than other things. So now I just specifically say, I am grateful for everything exactly how it is. Good, bad, in between. I'm grateful for everything. I spend time consciously every day thinking about the gift of health that I have. I say the gift of health is keeping me alive. So grateful for the gift of health. And I just try to get into this mindset where I'm thanking my body for always healing itself. I'm thanking my body for always doing a great job. Like, keep it up. Yeah. Keep it up, team, you know? Yeah. Uh, because I don't know how it works. It's all based on faith. You go to turn on a light switch. You're not thinking about the wires behind the wall or what it's connected. You just have faith. When I hit the switch, the light's going to go on. Right. Breathing is the same way. You don't have to consciously take every single breath. Your body just performs it on its own. So I think it's important to acknowledge yourself and at a subconscious level, tell your body regularly, thank you for running things behind the scenes for me. Right. And that's been a big help for me. I've been in like, I literally have not gotten sick a single time since I've started like in that mindset. So do you do it like, you know, the same time every day? Is it like a meditative thing? Is it just like throughout your day when you have a couple moments or how, how does that work? I try to make it the first thought of every day. Mm. So I don't ever wake up to an alarm clock. So that was like one of the things in when life I wanted to today? do. I'm always late. I'm on my own time. <laughs> um, Note to self, only do yes. things with Vito later in the day. I, I book things out later in the day. Yeah. I, I just want to, I call it owning my morning. Yeah. I also call it paying myself first. Yeah. So before I do any work, before I even look at the phone, I lock the phone in the office actually. So like I can't even look at the phone. Uh, I got to have one to two hours in the morning before I can even acknowledge technology. I love that. It's because I, for years, was in what I call a reactive state where I would wake up to my phone, look on social media, and I would be reacting to things that were coming at me. Yeah. And I was not in control yep. of my day. I would get out of bed. I'm not even awake. And I'm responding to conflict. Right. All conflicts that could have easily waited for 90 minutes. Right. But when you get in that reactive state, then life is happening to you. You're not creating your life. So I try to take that uh, first part of the morning and I call it paying myself. I do all the things that I want to do. So get a workout in, mm -hmm. enjoy breakfast, walk in the sun, try to look at a palm tree. Try to look mm -hmm. at a palm tree and not be happy. It's literally yeah. impossible. <laughs> Especially when you're from Chicago and it's like Living in so much more satisfying. Yeah. So uh, I am so grateful that I dealt with like 30 horrible winters and now I'm never going back. Right. I'm just here forever. There's where you get that gratitude. It's all it's, in. Yes. But if you're born into it, you don't take it, you know, That's you so don't true. appreciate it. So uh, I'm grateful for the journey that brought me to California to look at palm trees. So I pay myself first every morning. Love it. Then once I am like, okay, I've gotten the gift of my day. I've been paid mm -hmm. up front. I've given thanks for it. Then I go into, uh, then I start being in control and I selectively get to reply and then mm -hmm. I can start problem solving and breaking things down. Awesome. And then I'm in control mm -hmm. of my day and I'm in control of what I'm reacting to. Mm -hmm. So there I'm, I'm not reacting. I'm basically controlling my life and controlling the, the moves. There's always going to be conflict, right? Like in fact, without conflict, there's no opportunity. So I welcome conflict. If everything was easy, people wouldn't need middlemen and brokers and um, people could just make their own TV shows and people could just do everything themselves. But it's in, I, I pride myself in, in solving the most challenging problems for people, right? Yeah. Like I just, uh, I could sell anything, but I 
choose to sell things that money can't buy. So um, throughout that process, uh, it, it starts with paying myself first. It starts with um, not being in a reactive state, but being in a uh, proactive controlling state where I'm in control of all things in my life. And uh, from there, then, then yeah, then I just jump on and I yeah. can start making things happen. Tell me about a time in your life that you reached uh, a real turning point. Because it sounds like you're pretty good at adversity, but tell me about something that really was a turning point for you in your life. Turning point for me, I've had so many. But the consistent theme is that every time something happened where I thought my life was over, mm -hmm. my life was just getting started. Okay. And I could start at feeling I was being unfairly treated and given a raw deal in life from the beginning, being alone all the time. Um, I got kicked out of college when I was 19. Thought my life was over, lost my scholarship. If I had not gotten kicked out of college, I would be working as an economist in the agriculture department in Washington in a cubicle <laughs> for 60K a year. Something tells me that never would have happened to you. <laughs> With meeting, like but. 100K in debt. Like, uh, oh my gosh. No, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So a lot um, of a lot of obstacles come up and and sometimes people are not the best at handling it. We've yeah. had a crazy year. Yes. A lot of uh, craziness has been happening in people's lives. Um, but there's also been a lot of uh, silver linings that have come out of it. Tell me about a silver lining or what you have seen yes. as an incredible silver lining that's occurred in the past year. For me, it's been the conscious movement away from, I'll tell you specifically my business, okay? okay. For a long time, all my PR, all the public relations that I was doing for clients was promoting their accomplishments and success. This is the company that's made the most sales. This is the company that's uh, making the most money in, the, in their niche. Um, oh, these guys are getting awards because they're making so many millions. It's very, un, it's very distasteful to be promoting and flashing success in a time of crisis when a lot of people are hurting. Mm -hmm. So I've pivoted the messaging. I said, no, we're not talking about success anymore. Now we are only talking about impact and what you guys are giving back. So I think that one of the positive things that's come out, at least from the positive messaging that we've changed, is we no longer talk about how great we're doing for ourselves. Yeah. We only promote how good are we doing for others. Oh my God, I And I think that. that's super impactful and really important. And I feel that that's going to be gr a growing cultural shift. You think it'll change? It'll, it'll stay? It will stay. It will stay because I don't think we're ever going to recover to the point that we were at. I think we're in like a period of resetting mentally and people are reprioritizing what's important. And I do think that um, the world was just moving hard and fast and selfishly. And it did need to just get the brake slammed on it and kind yeah. of restart. And uh, I'm, I'm, I've honestly been thriving through the pandemic. So I, I'm grateful to have a lot of opportunities to to help people and to give back. And I, just, I did a lot of work with the government this year. And um, we were on both sides uh, working with Asia and the United States and working on messaging. Uh, it was a, a very impactful year for a lot of people. But I think, um, I think the, yeah, the, there's two things that came out good from this pandemic. On the business side, the fact that we're, I'm, hope, I'm hoping to lead the charge on focusing less on individual success and more on the impact that you that each individual can have on society and what they instead of saying congratulations for making a million dollars we're saying congratulations for giving a million dollars that's like in a basic analogy yeah another thing that i feel the pandemic has really brought home to conscious people that are aware 
is an increase in gratitude for what we actually do have. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying, oh, you know, kind of glad this slowed me down because I got to appreciate my family a little bit more. Yeah. Got to appreciate what I do have. Oh, there's so many people losing their homes. It's really great that, you know, I even have a home at all. Instead of being like, oh, I want the bigger house in Newport. I need the ocean view. And it's just like, I have a, I'm in a great yeah. place. You know, I'm in a great place. So um, I feel that it's kind of reprioritized what's really important to people that are in that mindset already. Yeah. But um, there's a big conversation I've had. I, uh, you know, I've done some work with uh, Deepak Chopra and I really like Deepak a lot. He really, um, in, a, in a brief meeting, really, ch- I think we both changed each other's lives because we had never really uh, challenged. We're both very difficult to challenge. We're both kind of people that are used to being like the smartest people in the room. Yeah. So when you get like, when you, you find anybody that can challenge you, that's confident enough to kind of take you on, uh, it was a really good experience. So for him, he had never really put thought into the, per- like in detail, how can we get the purpose of life down to one sentence? And that's where we came up with the idea that the purpose of life is to pass on information, to tell your story. You're a one-celled amoeba, right? You're this little one-celled organism. Your whole purpose in life is just to duplicate that DNA into another cell. And then there's another one-celled organism. But that's at the most primitive level, Mm -hmm. the passing on of information. As, As you get bigger, the species get bigger, then you get more opportunity to pass on more information. As humans, we pass on architecture and construction, medicine and storytelling. Mm-hmm. These are like the highest level forms of passing on information yeah. and legacy. Um, and there's, you know, there's uh, this movie called The Social Network. It's about Mark mm-hmm. Zuckerberg's life. And there's a, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's actually one of the reasons I like really wanted to get into Hollywood is in the scene in the movie, there's some lawyers talking and they said, well, Harvard has been the school to 20 presidents and more Fortune 500 CEOs and even two actors. And the lawyer says, who are the actors? Because people love storytelling. Yeah. Because that is the highest form of passing on information, Yeah. you know, through film and through media. Um, because inherently at our core, yes, we date and we mate and we have children and we pass on our DNA and we pass on our values and what's important. Uh, And then we, as humans, not only do we have opposable thumbs, we also have these mindsets to these desires to pass on what we've learned and what we've created and, and pass on information. So funny. I just had a conversation with a friend of mine recently who is a like really just super brilliant, very, very successful guy. One of the most generous, gracious, like over the top, giving guys. And I was thinking about it and I, and I actually asked him, I said, you know, why is that? I mean, where, where did you come from? Like, where, how did you get that? And he said to me, he says, I don't have any children. So when I die, all of my successes, all my money ends with me. He says, the only legacy that I can leave on is the value that I give to other people. And I thought, wow, I just love that. Right. And it's exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's like when whatever you can share with the world moving forward is your legacy, right? Yeah. So that is, I feel we've, we nailed 
what is the point of life? Yeah. Which is, is how many people have asked that question? And yeah. I've never well, really, that was one of my questions. I'm checking <laughs> off the box right now. I've never really felt that that question was nailed, but I've yet to find anybody to dispute that that is the correct answer. Yeah, I love that. So, and then the second part of our conversation was about hope. We talked a lot about hope. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like hope. Mm. I think hope is for the hopeless. Okay. Hope to me is emphasizing all of your energy on what you don't have. Mm-hmm. I hope I feel better. That's saying, I don't feel good enough now. I hope I can get a bigger house. It means I'm, my house currently is not good enough. So Deepak and I actually did come up with this concept as well, uh, gratitude over hope in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What the world needs now is more of an emphasis on gratitude of what we do have, less emphasis on what we don't have, hoping for what we don't have. Right. We all have what we have. Yep. The more grateful you are for what you have, the more God gives you to be grateful for. So if think about it in a relationship. It could be a relationship with money. It could be a relationship with a lover, with a child, a family. If you have this relationship with somebody and you don't appreciate it and you're not feeding it and you're worried about, oh, you're, I'm hoping, oh, I hope I meet somebody and you have somebody there. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose that relationship that you have for because you're spending all your time thinking about what you don't have. You don't have um, and it, but when you feed what you do have, you can actually create that into what you think you want. Awesome. You know? yeah. So I do feel that um, in the pandemic, we need to spend less time hoping, more time being grateful. Love it. Who do you go to when you want to hear the truth? When I want to hear the truth, um, I'll tell you what. I mean, these people on Twitter and Instagram and stuff are pretty ruthless. I mean, they'll like <laughs> they'll tell you how it is. Uh, my favorite people to get the truth from is little kids. I think they have like the best right? perception of the truth. I try to be really honest with myself. I think I'm. If you can't be honest with yourself, you got nothing. Right. You've got you. You're. If you're lying to yourself or you can't be real with yourself, then you are just going to. Uh, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks right. because you're just in your own matrix. So I would say the truth starts with self and then with the most innocent people that you can find around you. And then always turn to the internet. They will always give you the brutal <laughs> truth. Yeah, they will. They A will. lot of different truths, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, what books or mentors have impacted you the most in your life? I've had some amazing mentors. I've had some really cool people. Uh, books too. I'll start with the books because I, I, I don't want to, offend any of the mentors, but, um, I mean, I guess I could go off the mentor. Uh, Deepak Chopra, amazing mentor, figured out the meaning of life together. Uh, Bill Walsh. I always give Bill Walsh the shout out. Mm-hmm. Bill Walsh was a public speaking coach who took me in when I was 23 years old. I used to be on a uh, advisory board for a Christian university in Chicago, Judson university, amazing people on that school. They were one of the first colleges to roll out an entrepreneurship program. So they wanted like, I was kind of like their spokesman for the program. Mm -hmm. And they hosted a NATO event with Mikhail Gorbachev. And somehow in the mix, I ended up being like the opening speaker for it. (laughs) And I had never, ever been anywhere public. 22, 23 years old. I wasn't having a hard enough time teaching these entrepreneurship classes at this university. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you're opening for Gorbachev in two weeks. And public speaking is literally like one of the, the highest, uh, greatest fears. Of people, greatest right? fears, yes. So I met Bill Walsh 
through a friend of mine. She was working as his assistant. And she was like, you got to meet this guy, Bill. He's like a 40-year-old version of you. You know, she's like, this guy, he's just got magic, you know? So I, we ended up meeting each other. And then he needed some help with some internet stuff. And I was pretty good at that then. And uh, he was like, okay, if you can like help me tighten up this copy on here, he's like, I'll let you take my $10,000 speaking course uh, for free. So I took his $10, speaking course. It's worth every, this guy's trained everybody. He's trained Tony Robbins. He's trained the wow. Morrison brothers. He's trained, he's like the OG speaker. I just did an event with him and Coolio. Uh, Mark Victor Hansen, who wrote uh, the Chicken Soup franchise books. Um, I, Bill's trained all everybody. Mm -hmm. wow. I mean, he is the man when it comes to public speaking. He does 300 events a year, speaks every single day. Um, he's a, a, one of the best mentors. I have to give him a gigantic shout out. Um, so Bill was an awesome mentor to me. So he taught me how to uh, basically get on the stage, get over the fear, get the formula down. He, and he gave me this little 10-point formula. And that formula I have used at every public speaking event for years. I've made millions of dollars off of that formula. Wow. And it, it's so simple. It's like open with a joke, uh, give a gift. Uh, it, he's just got these 10 little bullet points yeah. that he does every time. And it literally takes people on this public speaking journey where by the end of it, they're dying to buy from you. It's so crazy. Oh I mean, literally, I, I did this event, uh, made like 100K in an hour. And I, was, I just gave this one hour presentation. And at the end of it, I was like, who here wants to be closed? And everybody's like, close me. <laughs> <laughs> like I, you could tell these people were like yeah. so wrapped into the story. That's awesome. So um, I get Bill, amazing mentor. I had another great mentor, Chase Harmer, CEO of Pay Certify. Uh, they're a, a merchant first payment processing company. I watched Chase, just literally the guy just hustles the phone so hard that he's built a billion dollar uh, actually, they're doing they're doing ten to twelve billion dollars a year in revenue right now. Wow! Um, what type of business is that? All merchant high risk merchant processing. Oh, okay. They're uh, basically um, like a competitor for PayPal. Yes, yeah, so they're probably in the CBD cannabis. They they were the first one who to ever process credit cards for cannabis. Yeah. They were in the state of California uh, credit card cannabis pilot program. Awesome. He crushes CBD processing. Uh, they do. Uh, they're um, they're a really good merchant processor. But it just he's he was just a, a big mentor and inspiration for me. Uh, I also worked for many years under Mankow Muller. He's a famous radio host. He actually was Howard Stern's original mentor. Mankow. You remember Mankow? He was he was big and he he was the one he shut down the Bay Bridge uh, when Bill Clinton was in town. Right, right. It got a haircut on the Bay Bridge. Yeah. Got sued for three hundred thousand by the FCC. Uh, so Mankow, um, he's a, he's still a staple in Chicago. Um, Mankow was a really good mentor for me. I, I did his TV show for a while. Um, him and I met, I was promoting another show that I was on and we hit it off on his show. And then we ended up like working together and doing a lot of stuff together. And uh, Mankow was a great mentor to me. I'll always be grateful to him. And then through Mankow, I met uh, this attorney, attorney Jeffrey Loving. Uh, he's the dad's rights lawyer, dadsrights.com. And Jeffrey Loving is the smartest media buyer that I have ever met in my entire life. Okay. I mean, nobody knows how to buy TV commercials, billboards, um, radio spots. I've never seen anybody be able to get their message out as good as he did. So I learned almost everything I know about publicity from him. Uh, another big mentor. Okay, we don't okay, have time we'll for every on single one of them. I just got to give one last shout okay. out for Kevin Blatt. Kevin Blatt is credited with doing the Paris Hilton uh, and the Kim Kardashian sex tapes. He just had an amazing feature in Wired Magazine, um, Kevin Blatt. I am so grateful for everything that I've gotten to learn uh, working alongside him. He's wow. a really brilliant genius. Well, so, you know what? It's what they yeah. say it takes smart people to know smart people, right? Yes. So 
Um, tell me something that you used to believe that you don't anymore. Something that I used to believe. I used to believe that things mattered. That I used to, believe, I don't want to be like a nihilist, but I've gotten to this point where I call it being detached from the outcome. Mm-hmm. It's all about the journey and minimally about the end. The award, the car, the house, the girlfriend, whatever, like the wife, whatever. It's all about the journey. And if you, you're not enjoying the journey, then the outcome has no point because you're not going to get any satisfaction. The, the dopamine hit mm-hmm. or serotonin or whatever leaks out in your brain when you get that award for five, five minutes, uh, right after that, it's, you're just back in the, in the matrix again. So it's like, if you're not enjoying that journey and it's not part of a process um, that you're enjoying every step of, then that is, you're just like, really missing out on, on the best parts of life. So that's yeah. that's a big mindset change that I've had. I love that one. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about, I'm going to not read my last one because my last one is what gives you the most hope. We'll just skip right over that one. <laughs> we can talk about that. That's all right. No, I, I but I, I, I know your answer and I yes. love your answer because to me, gratitude is what fuels me every single day too. So I love to hear that. And I feel like it's um, becoming a more common theme amongst younger people, which is so awesome to me because I feel like gratitude has always been saved for the older people in the past. You have to live a certain amount of life before you start realizing that it's all about the gratitude. But um, I I love that you're saying that. And I think it's absolutely spot on. Um, So so tell me, like, what's going on with you now? Talk to me about some of your current projects or if people wanted to work with you, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm super blessed. I have more business than I could ever possibly take on myself. So I get to really be super picky about who I work with. Yeah, And I've tried to like scale the business yeah. where I hire people to do it. But I realize it's like Picasso trying to teach other people how to make Picassos. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's really, um, it's a full on art form. And it's really limited to my bandwidth. I can hire people to like help write and to help shoot and do other things. But as far as like paint the picture, the full thing, mm-hmm. uh, I have to be the guy doing it. So I've been on a constant journey to help people tell their stories at the highest level. So first it was like through social media and like TV and radio. And then I was like, okay, we can get a little more freedom, you know, uh, helping people do like, uh, maybe we'll help them with a book and then uh, we can get the press involved and we can get like people's stories to the press. So I've been helping people tell their story through the press for like five years now. Uh, but now, uh, you know, I've been trying to do film for a long time and I've like in movies and I've like helped produce shows and movies and stuff. But now uh, I'm working on a deal. We're going to be launching uh, April 20th where I'm going to be helping um, 10 entrepreneurs, public figures, artists, 10 people with a great story to tell. And what we're going to be doing is really tightening up that claim to fame. And then we're going to be getting the claim to fame supported by the media. We're going to be laying out their ideas in uh, a public column, like a written column Mm -hmm. online. And then turning that column into a book, using our outlets to guarantee that that book can become a bestseller while simultaneously shooting a reality show for them that kind of fits the theme of their story. And I'm going to take all that reality show content and edit that into a documentary for them, which we'll be able to present to Netflix. Wow. So that to me so is called like, getting your bang for your buck, huh? Bang for your buck, telling the story in every platform at the highest level. Um, and we, I really want to like, find the best stories to tell. Yeah. 
And we're going to be telling those stories. And so that's going to be my next project. I'm going to now, be is this doing- just for like celebrities or who would be doing this? No, in fact, this? I don't want to do anything with celebrities. I want to really? make people into celebrities. Okay. I want to take people that have a story that's not getting heard. Maybe it's not fitting the narrative of the networks. Maybe it's uh, controversial. Maybe it's, uh, maybe the producers just don't see the vision. But if I feel it and- we can get the budget, right. <laughs> um, then I, that's the story that we want to bring to life. And I want to bring it together in every form. And I want it to be easy for them. I want, it to, I want them to just worry about being the stars. And then we're going to handle everything for them. So, so who would be a good candidate for this type of a project? So I've been working with uh, the buyers at some of these major platforms like Showtime and Netflix and Hulu. Uh, they basically gave me like a list of what they want. So they're, they're, right now they're really looking for stories uh, in like the crypto space. Uh, sports betting, stock trading, e-commerce, music. um, But again, anybody with like an interesting story, right? So uh, those are just particular ones because they all revolve around uh, making money. Mm -hmm. And people want to know how to make money right now. People don't want to watch... Again, this goes back to what I was saying. Like when we used to do press, it was like about the success. People don't want to watch you like flash your money on a reality show anymore. They want to watch something that they're going to like be inspired by and be like, I'm going to learn something from this so I can better my life. Awesome. So I'm looking for stories that are going to help the audiences improve their lives by watching that story. Even if it doesn't like, doesn't have to be like a how-to or like a biz op or like anything spammy like that. It can just be like, this is my journey and my story. And here's what you can learn from that. I think that there's a big demand for content and that, that fits that criteria now. So we're going to be uh, telling stories around that and then uh, operating that at a high level for, for my clients. So I'm really excited to launch that. Uh, and I Are you think still working to... in the influencer space or yes. celebrity Yeah, marketing? so that all kind of turns to, t- ties together. So I, I, I do a lot of, I put a lot of deals together between like brands and celebrities. And mm-hmm. um, I've got like a major, couple major liquor deals going right now where we're uh, hooking up liquor company with, um, a celebrity, you know, a lot of these things are selling for billions now. Wow. Um, doing basically, uh, I use storytelling through the press and media and celebrities to help people and brands share their story, right? So if you've got a great story, we use celebrities to amplify that, right? So we'd love to tell your story and then get the celebrities behind it to to push it harder and then monetize it. Maybe you want to do a product course. I mean, there's got to be um, there if the audience sees value in it it's your obligation as a creator to give them a way to support you, to engage with you deeper and further. And we're seeing a lot of that now with like different programs where people can sign up to support you monthly and get value and interact with celebrities now. So awesome. Yeah. We're going to keep pushing that forward. What's your, what's, who would be your dream client? Dream clients. That's usually what I'm asking people. Uh, so that is a really good question. Who would be my dream client? I'm, I'm definitely going to like give you the wrong answer than think of you something really good. already know it's really not good. Al Pacino. <laughs> Actually, I like Pacino. Pacino's cool. I wouldn't want to be a client with him. I'd love to work with him. The, the person that I most would love to act with on screen would be like Christopher Walken maybe. Oh. Jack Nicholson. Is he still doing movies? I'd love to work with Jack yeah. Nicholson. These are like the guys that I look up to on camera, you know, because yeah. they're like, uh, they're not sexy and they're so good at making you want to watch them. Yeah. You know? So... I get a lot so of satisfaction. You switched over from back them. to the acting mode. Is that do you do you see yourself pursuing more acting? In the, yeah, in the I'm getting a lot of acting work actually. I have yeah. I'm like lined up for like four or five movies this year. So I love doing the acting work. Uh, and but the I just don't like to rely on it for income because then it takes away from the art, right? So I have more flexibility and power, uh, not caring about the money. 
And I also do a lot. So like basically every project that I act in, I also try to like own a piece of the film as well. So it's like a producer acting thing. Uh, but Dream Client, uh, I mean, I've worked with a lot of really cool people. I, I actually, I think I've pretty much worked with like all my dream. I can't imagine. There's not any, again, detached from the outcome. Like I'm yeah. grateful for everything. Yeah. There's no hope. It's not like I hope I could work with this person. Yeah. If my dream client is the client that gets the most benefit from me and has the best story to tell and the biggest audience that needs to hear it, that would be like, I can't imagine who I would want to work with more. I've already, you know, I've worked with like all the Kardashians and Jenners. They're like the top of the social media game. Um, Kendall Jenner would probably be my dream client just to like get some one-on-one -on -one time with her. Yeah, but that's like yeah, yeah. pretty much the extent of that. I, I think the, the motives would probably be like not founded in, um, in the business on that. Yeah. But uh, everybody knows I have like the biggest Kendall Jenner crush. So well, it's like my celebrity if crush. If they didn't know before, they know now. <laughs> you uh, hear that, Kendall? So yeah, she knows my number. So she knows what's <laughs> up. Um, so, so but what about, I mean, do you see that that moving forward, is the influencer dynamic, is that going to fade? Or do you think that that's still going to be? Oh, it's absolutely not going to fade. In fact, uh, what will fade is the uh, mainstream celebrity. That is, we're in our last generation of celebrities. We are only, from now on, we will only have influencers, um, influencers in every genre. So we will have, uh, like when I say my company makes people into influencers, we take a doctor who has some specialty mm -hmm. that, and he is, becomes, we can make him into an influencer amongst doctors. He doesn't need to like be on Oprah and like uh, Kardashians and stuff like that's vanity metrics. Mm -hmm. But if we can get his claim to fame established and we can get him to develop his work into a book of, into a piece of work, like a book or a piece of content, um, we can take that and build out his legacy, get the media to support him. So he has the credibility of his peers. Then he becomes the ultimate influencer in that niche. So I've worked with like a veterinarian right now we built him into like a huge influencer. He's like, now he just speaks to all the veterinarians hmm. and he's like a young, good looking veterinarian. He's working on his TV show. Um, same with like the attorneys, like, uh, and I'm only picking like doctors and lawyers because those are traditionally things that were not Hollywood, right? So you could take an attorney that's like a master and like maybe uh, reuniting kids with their parents uh, and he could be like the influencer of that. Uh, but then also fashion is important, right? Art is important. But we're all going to have these different influencers and it's going to be smaller celebrities with more connection to their audiences. And that's the future of media. Yay. Well, I love it. Yay. <laughs> For our uh, listeners, we're going to make sure that we have your contact URL or uh, on the website at DelphineCircle.com. And... Right. Uh, I want to just thank you so much, Beto, for being on. Well, thank you for having me. Just such a pleasure to, to talk with. And you're always so brilliant. So I'm so happy thank that you. we got to spend this time together. I am too. Thank Yay. you so much. Thank you, doll. Thank you.